Tonight, I'd like to talk a little bit about freedom, about freedom, since that's the point of everything that we do with our practice. That is the ultimate point. I think I need a little more volume. Can you hear me easily in the back? See, I had a feeling. Anyway, I'd like to speak about freedom tonight. And I was uh, inspired to do that because, uh, to me, that is the whole point of the, of the practice. It's not just about self-help, to feel better, to feel a little happier, to have a little quieter mind. All those things are byproducts. But the real point of the matter is to, to um, literally liberate our hearts from confusion, from, uh, from contentiousness, from, from ill will, to experience a, a true release of our, um, our torments, the burdens that we carry. Not so much the inherent, the inevitable burdens that present themselves in everybody's life, the conditions that we can't control, but the freedom from our, from our reactivity to the, the suffering that is caused from the suffering that is caused by our own reactions to the conditions that present themselves in our life. And last week I spoke about the uh, in some ways, about freedom, about satipatthana, about the being in a state, uh, the mindfulness as a state of being awake. And I talked a little bit about the analogous word in the Hindu tradition, satchitananda, which is this word being, consciousness, bliss. The real, the true uh, bliss, the true happiness is being conscious. Now, it's hard to, we, we can all sense that for a moment. We can all sense what it's like to be awake and conscious and feel even momentarily free. Right now, as you're sitting here and you're awake, I don't mean awake as opposed to being asleep, awake being aware, in this moment that you are awake and being aware and you're not thinking about what happened earlier today for a moment and you're not thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, in this moment of, of wakefulness, there is, it, it, there is in that moment of simply being awake, being, just letting yourself be, being awake, there is in that moment, if you are allowing yourself to, to be aware, there is a cessation of torment, cessation of suffering. There's really not, it's not easy to find suffering in a moment of being, of being awake. So the beauty of that is that it's ever available, ever present. It's so natural to us, can't be found anywhere else other than right on your own cushion. That's the beauty of it. The difficulty of it, the problem with it, the shadow in that, 
is that we don't stay in that simple state of being conscious. As one simple description of what happens is a thought arises, which is not a problem if it's noticed as a thought. Thoughts are to our door of perception, called mind, as a sound is to the ear, as a smell is to the nose, as a taste is to the tongue, as a sensation is to our body. It could not be more natural that a thought arises. But if that thought arises and goes unrecognized, it is not meant with being aware, being aware of that thought. If we're not tracking our thinking mind, that thought quickly spreads out into into what we call ordinary thinking. And one of my favorite teaching, teachers, Dujam Rinpoche, calls that, that um, ordinary thinking, he calls it the chain of delusion. Because in that little chain of delusion, in that ordinary thinking, when it goes unnoticed, when we're not being mindful of that series of thoughts, when it goes unnoticed, we literally enter into a kind of unconscious dream world, as you all have seen what happens. You, it's a dream world of, of you and your story. It's usually about your life history or your life, your, the origin of your family or all the, the struggles that you've had before and the plans that you have for the future and the... And, the center of that little story is, how am I doing? And uh, there's often a, a little struggle going on. It's, there's a little bit of a measurement. Am I doing well? Am I not doing well? Is other people are doing better. Uh, I'm not quite enough, or I should be more. Uh, whatever it is. But in the, when we enter into that little chain of delusion or ordinary thinking that goes unnoticed. Remember, if it's recognized, this is simply the natural expression of our mind. A sense experience has arisen, a beautiful, marvelous capacity that we have to think. When it's noticed and met with, with uh, awareness, it, in some ways those thoughts are, are a creative display and they just kind of they come, they pop like clouds passing through a sky. It's just like a, a little weather front that goes through the, through the mind. And it leaves no trace. It doesn't interrupt the capacity to be aware. It just, it's just thoughts arising and passing. And it's very easy to see, if we are being mindful, that those thoughts arise unbidden. They, those thoughts are their own thinker. They think themselves. They're not, they're not really me, they're not mine, they're just thoughts bubbling up, just discharging, just nature expressing itself, just one of the sense experiences. That's what happens if we notice that chain of thoughts. And we see, oh yes, that's my story, that's, that's, that's me, and we start to notice, yeah, I'm, I'm, I notice that this stream of thoughts tends to have a certain flavor. I tend to repeat over and over certain top tunes. And oh, it seems like my story is all about planning, or my story is all about remembering, or my story is all about what's wrong with me. My story is all about some, the conclusion I've made about myself and my life, or the conclusion I've made about someone else, 
or who I'm fighting with or who I'm in love with or what I'm hoping for, all of that. And if I can notice more and more that uh, the kinds of thoughts that I'm experiencing, kind, the way that nature is presenting itself, I get to see what the top tunes that my mind plays. And that's a, that's a very interesting thing. But I can still see that these thoughts about myself, these thoughts are, in, they are my imagination. They, they cannot really define me. They're thoughts. They're little bubbles. But when they go unnoticed, those thoughts spread out into ordinary thinking, and that's called the chain of delusion, because we incarnate in those thoughts. We literally believe that the one we're thinking about is the real you. We think a thought of ourself is ourself, and that is a, that's a, a, a crazy kind of delusion once you wake up to see that a thought of yourself can never be yourself. But yet, we habitually incarnate in our thoughts, and then we, then we wonder why our bodies uh, shut down, why we start to feel small, why, we, why that we, when we wake up to where we are, there's often a feeling our body is holding. I was reading about one teacher who was getting some, some body work, and the, the body worker started having having all kinds of problems working on this teacher's body. And, and the, the, person, the body worker kept saying, you know, are, are you going to do this or am I going to do this? And the, the person wanted the teacher to let go and just relax. But the teacher was busy, caught in a kind of reaction in their mind. And they, the, person, the teacher opened their eyes and saw that their arm was, was just frozen in space. And they realized that that they were caught in a kind of mental reaction. And so our subtle body, our emotional body, is often due to a lot to our thinking, is creating a kind of inner reality, and our body responds to it with a state of tightness, contraction, our hearts and minds, everything. And interestingly enough, the more tight we get at the effect of of this chain of delusion at the effect of these, these ordinary thoughts, the tighter we get, the more our mind spins out in thinking. And so it becomes a kind of spinning wheel of endless uh, samsara. Nice lights here. I think we just needed a little bit of a different mood. So once we have habituated the, the tendency to fall into that chain of delusion, to mistake a thought of ourselves for ourselves and the story of ourselves for ourselves, we pretty much uh, spend a, a huge portion of our time in virtual reality. I know many Tuesday nights I've talked about the Studies that have been done that suggested that 46.9% of the time we daydream. And our life is so much pervaded by what's not present. So even though this wakefulness, being awake, natural freedom is our, is our natural state, 
habitually we live so much of our life in delusion and the appearance of things in our mind that don't that can only approximate reality they can't really capture what and who we are right now so this freedom is available it's available to wake up here and now always available ever present always already here however because we are so trained to fall into delusion it is helpful to practice it is helpful to incline our minds toward uh, that which makes it possible to both recognize uh, the sense of freedom and have that sense of freedom become our default w- way of being. So we truly can say for ourselves when we talk about mindfulness that we are not doing mindfulness, that we are actually being mindful, that we are in a state of being awake. As the Buddha said, I know of no other single thing so conducive to misery as this uncultivated, untrained mind. I know of no other single thing so conducive to well-being as this cultivated and well-trained mind. So even though in general, we talk about mindfulness as a state of being mindful. The Buddha was very clear about the training of the heart and the mind to stay awake. And he started his teaching on his teaching of freedom by saying, direct this natural wakefulness, direct your attention to your body. Put your mind in your body. This is the beginning. This is the beginning, the middle, and the end, in a way. Nothing is more beneficial than placing your attention that is, again, it's completely natural to you. But if you truly want to be awake and stay awake, you have to have your attention in the same location as your body. And given that your body, this this body that is that goes through so much, this body is, at least as long as you are alive, it is always present. So any connection that you have with your physical body, if you know that you're feeling something, you know that you are, uh, that you are being present, that you are, you're awake. So how hard is it right now to be aware of your body? Anybody have a hard time being aware of their body? Tell me what's hard about being aware of your body. What's that? You have to stop paying attention to the thoughts in your mind. So when you stop, in that moment that you stop paying attention to your thoughts and you just feel yourself sitting here, how hard is that? Oh, it's, it's not hard, but it's so much more subtle. Isn't that interesting that he says that it's not hard to notice his body, but it's so much more subtle. But in fact, 
the sensations of sitting, your contact of your rear on the cushion, your hands touching right now, your, your, the sense of your whole body, the, that living quality, is so much more gross than thoughts. So they can be, if you give some attention to them, they can be such an easier anchor for your attention. And it is not possible if you're feeling the body, just feeling the simplicity of, of sensation in your body, it's not possible to uh, spin out in thought when you're in those moments that you're feeling about. So when you come into some simple contact with the physical body, life gets pretty simple, doesn't it? What happened to all of your life dramas when you felt your body for a moment? What happened to all your suffering when you just felt your body for a moment? What happened to your whole life story when you just felt your body for a moment? I was thinking during the sitting that this line from this poem from Wei Wu Wei, where he said, why are you so unhappy? He says, because 99.9% of everything you do and think is for yourself. And there isn't one. You cannot find anybody when we simply feel sensation. We don't need to be anybody when we just feel sensation. Of course, we can reflect on the fact that if it wasn't for your individual presence here, your individual life and all of your circumstances, you wouldn't be able to recognize this simplicity. So it's not denying your existence, but to actually function and live and love and be free and be wise and be compassionate. We don't need anything other than that simple, simple but um, challenging practice of staying present. And as a sutra from the Mahayana Buddhist school states very succinctly, having no view of self, one is always peaceful. So when we're not caught up in a story of ourselves, we, we're, we're pretty good. Life is pretty, life is okay. And even if it's not okay, it's so different than the, than the elaborations, the complications that our mind adds to it in our, in our internal narrative. But even if our mind adds to it in our internal narrative, even if we have a whole storm of thoughts, if we are able to be mindful of thinking, those thoughts are just thoughts. We're actually able to enjoy that world of thinking. But again, if they go unnoticed, we live in a false reality, believing that we are a person that exists independently apart from all things, and our thoughts tend to reinforce that fundamental delusion that we are separate, that we are a separate individual. So waking up to the moment of simple sensation, we begin the process of waking up to not just 
waking up to the simple sensation, but we begin to wake up to the possibility and hopefully the direct experience of non-separateness. Just like Andrea shared in the, in the Donna talk about the giving, the gift, and the receiver, no non-separate. And that the only separation that is ultimately, the only separation that is true is the separation that is created from our, um, our delusions, from our mistaken perceptions of reality. So when you stop and just feel sensation, just even in this moment, where is, in the simple moment of feeling sensation, where is the dividing line between us? Where is the separation? When we have no view of ourselves, no thought of ourselves, no thought of others. We're just here feeling the immediacy of our experience. Even here, we can begin to sense that intimacy with life, connection with life, is much closer than we think. As I think it was Kabir, who says, Oh, how I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. So you're really never quite apart from what you think you are. Oh, how I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. You don't understand that's what's, what's most alive and connected is, lives inside your own house. And you walk from one holy city to the next with a confused look on your face, trying to, trying to find connection. When that sense of connection is a, literally a, a split second away of just feeling being here, being aware. So we can feel this, but we don't stay here. We keep going out. We keep falling off the cushion. So something's got to give if we truly want to be free. We, we have to first somehow orient ourselves to this unfolding present. So we put our mind in our body and our body in our mind. The second thing the Buddha recommended, because it's no accident that we go go off, that we spin out. It says you also need to recognize that what's happening in these simple moments of being present, all the simple moments of our life, these six experiences going on, moment by moment, one after another, we're seeing things, we're hearing things, we're smelling things, we're tasting things, we're feeling things, thinking about things. That's the totality of our life. But what thickens the plot, what often goes unnoticed and unrecognized, leading again into that chain of delusion, is that every experience that we 
experience comes with a feeling. It's either pleasant, it's either unpleasant, or it's neither pleasant or unpleasant. And the pleasant experiences in our life, we don't usually just notice the pleasantness of them with mindful attention. When we have mindful attention to the pleasantness of our experience, that very experience of pleasure draws us closer to to life. It It helps us ease ourselves into, immerse ourselves into the midst of life if we feel that pleasantness. It gives us a sense of relief. And so like that, the little duck where he says he, he eases himself into the boundless, right where it touches him. We ease ourselves into life right where it is. We feel the pleasure and we feel connected to everything around us when we feel pleasure and we know we're feeling pleasure. And of course, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of pleasures you can get caught up in, but in this in the experience of feeling pleasure, there's a beautiful sense of union, of union. If you're noticing that feeling of pleasure, if that if you don't notice the feeling of pleasure, pleasure is often followed by liking. The thought of liking. The thought of liking is followed by the thought of wanting. And then the feeling of wanting. And the feeling of wanting produces enough tension to then then create the pressure and the release in more thoughts of wanting and the plan and the strategy. And pretty soon we are we are in a state of pursuit. And this is the other thing that freedom is the the relinquishing or the, the, the cessation, the letting go of this kind of maniacal tendency to have our mind always in a state of searching. We don't have to be in a state of searching. This just comes from the inability to be with the pleasant experience and stay there. And the same is true with the unpleasant. If we're able to feel the unpleasant experiences, absorb them, feel the connection with the fact of unpleasant experience as part of our human experience. It helps us ease into the boundless, right where it touches us in the form of feeling the pain of life. And if we stay there long enough, it tenderizes our hearts, it opens up our compassion. Every single Every melting that's ever happened in my life is because I've stayed with pain, because I've suffered through something and stayed with it and not run from it and not hide and not hidden away in, in dullness and distraction. When I either couldn't get away or, I, or because of practice, I, I took it on. But most often, we, don't, we are not being mindful of the unpleasant. We're not able to accommodate it because we're not used to it. So when it goes unnoticed, it's followed by disliking. And disliking is then followed by all the different forms of aversion and fear and strategies of how to get away and projections on everyone else as the cause of your suffering and and how everything needs to change in order for you to be able to find relief. 
and that maniacal state of, of seeking is just continued again and again in reaction to unpleasant experience that hasn't been very well accommodated. So it, it helps to get to know and embrace, take an interest in unpleasant experience. It's a little, goes against everything we're taught. Seek pleasure, avoid displeasure. But, but I'm not saying don't seek pleasure and, and seek pain. I'm saying open to both, pleasure and pain. And realize that you, really, you'll realize that you're beyond both. That you don't have to be bound up in either of them. And then the last feeling tone that the Buddha recommended that we pay attention to is the, is the neutral experiences. The experiences that are so many in our life that are neither painful or pleasurable. Because our minds have become so dependent on pleasure and pain, we don't even notice the neutral ones. And when we do, our mind immediately associates it with boredom or not enough going on. But if we were able to hover and accommodate, mingle with, become intimate with the neutral moments, this would open up, this does open up uh, a peace. It opens up a balance. a silence, a steadiness, a quality of, of poise, of equanimity, of impartiality. It, gets a, it helps us be in touch with, a, with a, a kind of substratum of immovability, of perhaps even that in us which is deathless, which is immovable. But we're so used to going to look for something more interesting? Or what do we do mostly when we're experiencing neutral experiences is we just space out. We just drift off into fantasy. And then we're, the fundamental delusion that we fall into, the neutral tends to lead into delusion, the pleasant leads into greed, the unpleasant leads into hatred or aversion. And, and what you have then is the the creative process, the karma of the, and the growth and the proliferation of what the Buddha called the three poisons, greed, hatred, and delusion, the three things that cause us to suffer and overlook this natural freedom and not even think it exists. So it's really helpful to start noticing the feeling tone. Is my experience right now pleasant or unpleasant? Now, if it's unpleasant, you'll usually say, i got to get out of here. But see if you can stay long enough. And you'll see that the unpleasant sometimes gives way to the pleasant. And, it, and you may even get really happy when you can experience unpleasant and, and your mind not react to it. In fact, the happiest moments in my own practice were when I had intensely unpleasant experiences and my, my mind was open to it. I, I didn't think the two could coexist. So that's... So we, we need to put our mind in our body. We need to notice the feeling tones. This is what the, when the Buddha talked about sati, this is what he said. Sati is meanings, this is being aware, clearly comprehending what's happening. The third thing he said, you need to notice 
your subtle body. You need to notice your emotional body. You need to know. You need to get to know all the different states of the heart and states of the mind. And you need to know how they are related to your thinking, and how how much our how much our life is is made up of these weather patterns that flow through our consciousness, very conditioned by thoughts, by memories, by associations, by likes, by dislike. But it, if we get to know the whole world of our mental states, know when our mind is vacuous and spacious, know when it's contracted, know when it's happy, know when it's sad, know when it's fearful, know, and we can then see the commonality of all these experiences, the commonality of sensations, of moods, of of Feeling tones, they're always changing, always, they're just happening. And it's, and it's a, a drama, it's a wild drama of life that's happening all by itself. We start to see the selflessness of our moods and our thoughts. And we start to see the difference between just the fact that there's sadness and, it's, and the sadness is me. It's all about me. All about my story, my life, my issues, my situation. Instead, when sadness arises, sadness is sad. Happiness is happy. Spaciousness is spacious. It doesn't require a self to be spacious. It doesn't require a self to be sad. It's just sad is happening. Now, of course, if we were to talk to somebody about our sadness, we'd say, I'm feeling sad today. That's the conventional language. But when we would feel it meditatively, we would just let sad be sad. We wouldn't try to do anything about it or undo it. We would just recognize it as nature. And finally, in the course of seeing the flow of sensation and feeling tones and moods and emotions and states of mind, we would see the kinds of states of mind, the kind of states of mind that are that that we know for ourselves cause suffering. And if we see for ourselves the states of mind that cause suffering, we see it really clearly. The wisdom of clear perception and clear seeing becomes the cause of us beginning to not follow them, not follow the craving mind, not follow the aversive mind, not not get so lost in these different reactions, in, in worry, in fear, not get so lost in our, the story of doubt, who really doesn't describe anybody except an imagined you. I can't do this. Everybody else is doing it. I'm terrible. That's all completely distorted. It does not reflect the truth. And we can see that with the eye of wisdom. And that begins the process of we both see those states of mind that lead to to suffering and we start to see the qualities of mind that lead to freedom. We start to see the mind the mind of tranquility, the mind of curiosity and investigation, the mind of we start to feel the energetic qualities that that are helpful for awakening. We start to take care of ourselves better. And this is not something that um, you can just kind of wait to happen. Nobody's going to do it for you. You have to. You have to. You want. You have to want to be free more than you want a, uh, an LCD TV. You have to want to be free.
And you can, it's said if you desire, if you give rise to this desire, the desire for freedom, all the other kinds of pleasures will, will come in the wake of that. But, but you don't need them. But you do need freedom. What you re- so it's really reflecting on what you need. And most of us need to be free, not to be bound up in torment. And the world needs us to be free because the, the, the mind that is free falls in love with everything and, and mostly wants to help. And so may you all be free. May we all be free. And may we all realize that life is tough. May we all realize that what makes it really tough is our reaction to it. And that it's really possible to uh, loosen our reactions to life, to live in harmony with life. And it's really possible to practice moment by moment, day by day, to that end, to be free. I'll read once more. I know of no other single thing so conducive to misery as this uncultivated, untrained mind. I know of no other single thing so conducive to well-being as this cultivated and well-trained mind. So let's just sit quietly for a moment. May all beings know happiness and the causes of happiness. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings recognize sacred happiness that's without sorrow, here and now. Not overlook this ever-present vital point. And may all beings grow in serenity and equanimity able to meet the joys and the sorrows, the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral, with less grasping, less aversion. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. Okay, good luck. Don't let your mind leave your body. Thank you for your practice. Thanks for your generosity. Happy days. See you next Tuesday, hopefully.
She's cooking. Thank you. I always feel so grateful. I, I come from teaching and run oh. in uh, for the Dharma talk. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Not, too, not too much at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it's just such a sweet open. It's like the, the fruit at the end, you know, the Thank dessert. You. Thank yeah. you. Absolutely. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I'm a little weird. I just finished leading a retreat. Wow. How long? In a different time zone. So I'm a little oh. weary tonight. But I, I was talking to some, an Argentine woman here, and, and they ju- they're just getting started. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.